Did some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism, Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch its streaming video from anywhere in the world. Our archives on that site also contain 43 hour-long programs in 2006, 52 hour-long programs from 2007, and 54 shows in 2008, with this being the final show for the year. That's an incredible 150 hours of sheer but factual entertainment for you folks, available also on podcast, hotm.tv. All right, tomorrow is New Year's Eve. What are you doing with yourself in 2009? Why not decide to learn more about the Bible verse by verse? Join us every Sunday for an hour-long Bible study at one of three locations at the University of Utah on Sunday morning at Weber State University on Sunday evening and at Utah State University also on Sunday evening. Uh, oh, and all of our... Um, Teachings are available at www.calvarycampus.com. You can go on there and listen to any of the sermons that you'd like. Beginning this Sunday, uh, we'll begin the new year with this verse-by-verse uh, -verse analysis of the Gospel of John. Use it as a supplement to the church activities and the church you belong to. Or if you don't attend a church, you can use the study as your own church. We don't care. Just join us. Again, you can get more information at Calvary Campus. Dot com. Beginning next week here on Heart of the Matter, we will pick up teaching the unheard Mormon history, which is where we left off in 2007 with Joseph Smith having been killed at Carthage and the Mormon people unsure of where to go and what to do. We're going to spend 2009 examining the history of Emma Smith and her sons with Joseph, Brigham Young, his leadership, his doctrine, his accomplishments and his failures and uh, the Pioneer Trek West, the establishment of Mormonism here in Utah, its theocratic rule over the people, Orrin Porter Rockwell, Blood Atonement, Practices of the Early Saints, Mountain Meadows Massacre, of course, Polygamy, the First and Second Manifesto, 
tithing, temple changes. We'll study other modern prophets all the way up to Thomas S. Monson of today. Changes in the religious focus, their food storage program, their Indian placement program that uh, was so unique. And also um, interesting LDS characters of the time, including B.H. Roberts, James Talmadge, uh, Hugh B. Brown, and Paul Dunn. We're also going to continue on through the year and look at 20th century Mormonism, the FLDS church, nepotism in the church leadership, and we'll also inspect the revelatory processes that uh, occurred with blacks receiving the priesthood, Mark Hoffman and the Salamander Letter fiasco, the Elizabeth Smart kidnapping event, and the Lafferty Brother murders. We hope you'll not only join us, but you will tell your family and friends to tune in as well. And by the way, beginning January 1, Heart of the Matter here on at KTMW TV 20 is going to begin airing on Dish Echo Star. Uh, that's uh, the Dish Network um, channel 8547. And uh, that is going to get us tremendous amount of exposure uh, throughout the state, and then we're also going to be adding DirecTV. So we praise God. We thank you for your prayers uh, in this matter. Some of you have been praying faithfully, calling Dish and other places to get us on. And so it's going to start in January, and that's going to bring us to, we believe, somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter million more households. So uh, what a blessing that will be. We received a few actual letters in the mail we get those, but uh, these were interesting. Don, he sent a letter, and Don is just all, just all upset about something about me. And he wrote, I called the show, but I couldn't get through. And he wrote, in my music library, I have more than 100 old rock and roll music CDs and more than 100 Christian music CDs. Also, almost a decade ago, I stopped listening to secular music and locked my radio on a certain station here, tore the knob off and threw it away. I found myself singing praises throughout the day instead of rock and roll oldies. Spiritual gifts and blessings came abundantly after that, along with a manifested obedience. It's hard to have impure thoughts or actions when you're singing or giving praises to God continually throughout the day. Christian music is one of the highest forms of worship I have ever experienced, and I recommend it to every young Christian and old believer alike. The angels play it in heaven relentlessly, so get used to it, he says. And then he says, P.S. Hate is not a word in my vocabulary, but I detest punk and rap music. So just to throw it in your face, here are some Christian rock and roll lyrics I have written. And he sent me several pages of his own Christian rock and roll songs. This letter is a perfect example that of what drives many seeking souls away from the cross. And while I may agree that Christian music and praise music is far better in bringing our minds into harmony with the Lord, and I do like that. I love what Christian music can do. Uh, this type of do's and don'ts and holy and unholy and must and must nots, that excitable, fanatical, over the topical type people, uh, send, it does nothing but takes people and says, well, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't like that at all. I don't have to do this. And, and this take the knob and throw it away. Their people, how they dress, how they eat, what they do, what they listen to, how much makeup they wear, the kind of ways they spend their money, where they vacation, all these things. Yes, there might be ways that are more prudent and wiser, 
but or more wise, but it doesn't necessarily mean it really truly matters in every single individual's life. So I just appreciate, Don, if you keep your dogma to yourself. Keep your dogma in your own yard. Uh, I Then we have a, another letter from Carol Lee. She wrote, I have one or two times flipped through. It's funny, when LDS tell me they watch the show, it's always, I was just flipping through. I happened to just catch your show. I, was one, I have one or two times flipped through your show over the years and have watched you grow more and more evil with time. Just look at your countenance compared to the countenance of President Thomas Monson. Uh, anyone can see that you are a wicked man. Um, well, Carolee, it is true that I am a wicked man, saved by grace, but I have improved in my life and in my wickedness, and uh, I fight my flesh daily, but the Lord does work with me. So what we're going to do is, I thought maybe it already came up, we're going to show a picture of Thomas Monson, and we're going to kind of see how my countenance looks compared to his. So there's Thomas Monson, president of the church. Let me see me get in line with this. Got to take my glasses off. Uh, there. Listen to Sean McCraney. There he is. Here I am. Definitely an evil countenance right there. I agree with you. All right, Carolee. I hope that uh, just made you turn the channel forever. All right. We're going to, uh, with that, have a prayer. Lord, we love you. We're grateful that you gave us sense of humor, and uh, we pray for your spirit to be with our viewers here uh, in the audience and out there in uh, YouTube land, in television land, in cable land, and coming up in dish land. We pray for our volunteers. We pray for people who uh, work and have family members who are in the LDS church who don't know Jesus. We pray that they will. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we spent some time talking about the law and grace. I'd like to end the year by talking about two principles or characteristics that not only go hand in hand, but have in many ways been horribly redefined in this day and age, truth and love. In the salutation in 2 John, it reads, grace be with you, mercy and peace in truth and love. Um. You remember way back, most of you, maybe our viewers, will remember that we used to have these albums. They were vinyl records, but they weren't the big ones. They were 45s, and they had a big hole in the middle of them. You had to put this adapter thing on, and then you put the 45 on, and it would play one song. And usually on one side, there was a very popular song, and then you flip it over, and it was called the B-side, and that was usually a cheesy song you never heard before. Okay, well, we're going to talk about truth and love as a 45 vinyl disc. And I want you to just remember both sides are vitally important. Both sides make that 45. In our ministry, we have long sought to maintain a solid balance between uh, honest um, truth, honest truth, between truth and love. Admittedly, I have failed, at least in appearance, to show I am constantly loving on occasions in the show. And uh, for that, I am sorry. Always remember that uh, I'm just a talking donkey, and some, we, we ebb and flow when it comes to our love. We ebb and flow in that. We never want anyone, anybody, to think that we don't love them as our earthly sibling. 
your personal beliefs and your lifestyle and your issues on a one-on-one -on -one and individual basis would rarely serve to alter the love that I generally have for most people. Uh, in fact, this accepting aspect of our ministry has at times made our Christian friends believe that we love too much. Interestingly and paradoxically, however, our LDS friends constantly charge us for loving too little. This has been an issue in the ministry since day one. Now, someone once said, love without truth is irresponsibility and truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is irresponsibility and truth without loving others is an act of brutality. In other words, if I tell a child, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I never teach that child uh, issues about God or issues about safety or issues about how to get through life, then my love is really an irresponsible type of love. In our ministry, it would be highly irresponsible for me to sit and tell the LDS that we love you, we love you, we love you, but not share the most important truths that Jesus has given us that they never get to hear within the walls of the LDS religion. On the other hand, if I brutishly teach a child only information and never let them know or feel or sense that I do love and care about them, I'm like a barbarian who's full of information but void of the life-altering love that comes in and help, actually helps a person want to embrace the information that you're giving them. Many of our LDS critics place us in this latter category. If we have had one, we have had a thousand emails that almost claim verbatim the, the same thing. They will write, the Savior only loved. He would never pick on another faith. Why do you? What they're saying is, Sean, you say things that make me feel badly about my beliefs. Therefore, you are not loving. Jesus was only loving and he would never make someone else feel badly about their faith. This is the, this is the mindset of people who write these emails. And I'm telling you, we get them every week at least, if not every day, every week. Truth and love go hand in hand. And if they are to be understood and embraced in their complete sense, you cannot separate the two. Now, did you know that if I love you, it is impossible for me to withhold from sharing the truth with you. When I say truth, I mean truth with a capital T. If I truly love you, I cannot withhold sharing the truth with you. Why? Because since I really love you, I want you to be free from any and all deception that may be in your life, right? And in order for you to experience the liberation, I am bound to share with you the truths that will free you from the chains that hold you bound. In this day and age, this mindset of mindlessness, many people chant, the Beatlesque impression that all you need is love, while refusing to listen to the B-side of that 45 that is sings, all I want is the truth, just give me some truth. Such a mindset has led some very good people to actually believe that love can be experienced in a vacuum, 
And that truth is irrelevant when it comes to the most profound and highest expressions of love. This would be like thinking you are truly in love with a grifter whose sole purpose is to deceive you and take advantage of you by being somebody that they are not. In the end, it will become very apparent that you were never in love with this con man or con woman. You were only in love with the charade that they put in front of you, with their deceptions, with their lies, and the promises they made. You are not in love with the actual person. So it is with loving something that is not true. Where truth does not exist, there cannot be true love. What we actually experience or feel is bad love. And bad love, because it is based on untruths, makes everyone who embraces it miserable and sad and feeling deceived at the end of the day. Worst of all, when you are involved in a bad love relationship, when you discover that it's bad love and based on a fraud, you don't want, it's hard for you to ever love again. So truth and love go hand in hand in every application of the two respective words. Romantically, relationally, religiously, truth and love cannot be teased apart. This is what makes Jesus so absolutely wonderful, so absolutely trustworthy, the rock upon which we stand, because he is the truth with a capital T, and he did nothing but love with a capital L. He embodies both characteristics completely and fully. Every action he took, every word he spoke was 100% true and based in 100% love. In him and him alone, we can rest upon for the truth and love uh, in the most common sense. Everything else that tries to supplant Jesus, including religion, including authorities in religion, including manuals and new doctrines, anything that tries to supplant, add to, take away to Jesus the rock is somehow deceptive because he is the truth and he said that of himself. Somehow we've come to, utterly, to the utterly ridiculous conclusion that Jesus never spoke painful truths, that he, all he ever did was love now, I say that that way, for one, to kind of get you mad, because I know he did love. But we forget that it was his love for the misguided and the errant that caused him to speak painful truths so that they would see. Okay, In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned his own disciples that they were in danger of hellfire. That's the term he used. If they didn't comply with the teachings he was presenting them. Today, people would call such a warning intolerant and mean and even hateful. If I said to a caller, you are in danger of hellfire, we would have so many. That's so mean. That is so hateful. Jesus did it to his own disciples. He instructed his disciples not to be as the hypocrites when they fast. Hypocrite is a pejorative term. Jesus used it. Uh, was he loving? Yes. Was it true? Yes. In Matthew 10.35, Jesus said, quote, For I am come to set at variance 
a man against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, end quote. Does this sound like someone who is trying to make nice-nice out of everything he touched? Does it sound like someone who is seeking to establish a utopia of mindlessness? Does it sound like someone who wanted to establish a happy valley here on earth? Does it sound like that teaching would go hand in hand with the false teaching of families can be together forever? It's completely contradictory. Jesus did not paint this euphoric picture for everyone to buy into, you know, and have a painted smiley face on their, on their uh, uh, faces their whole believing life. He got into their kitchens. One day while speaking to a Syrophoenician woman, Jesus purposely referred to her as a dog, a biatch, really. He referred to her as a dog. If someone called the show who was LDS and I called her a dog, the emails wouldn't stop. All right? Jesus called Peter Satan. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Satan is the, is, is the most antithetical being to Jesus. And he called his own Peter Satan. The point is not that Jesus was wrong in using these words of truth. Without question, he delivered them for a purpose, and in the end, the bottom line was love, in its truest sense. The point is, is that such truths are frankly forbidden in the, same, in the name of a false and pretentious love, which we have embraced and accepted, especially in our society today, as legitimate. And why is this erroneous thinking enforced by people? Why do people want you to believe that love is all there is? Forget truth. Forget sharing truth, just love. Because it's an effort to protect the lies and deceptions evil people and evil systems want to keep in place. It seems to me that those who are crying loudest that all we need is love are those who stand to lose the most from the truth being shared to expose their counterfeit. Show me a person who says love is enough and I will show you a person who has something to hide. Show me a church that is constantly saying, you just, that's not love, that's not love, that's not love. And I'll show you a church that has something to hide because it fears the truth. Love does not silence truth. And then turn to Matthew 23. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. Holy Moses, have you ever read a chapter like this, you intolerance police. I mean, you say Jesus would never say anything unkind to anybody. Jesus would never pick on another person's religion. Jesus was only love and kindness. Recall what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Go to verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for a pretense you make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. He tells them about hell for their hearts. And he calls them names. Verse 15, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you have made this person twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. He says they're children of hell. Uh, verse 16, woe unto you, blind guides, ye fools, you blind. 
And he goes on to talk about what's greater, gold or this. Verse 23, 24, woe unto you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you blind guides, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. Woe unto you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean outside the cup and the platter and within you are full of extortion and excess. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like the whited sepulchers which endeared appear beautiful outward, but are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even you are outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Jesus, yes, Jesus concludes saying, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you ever escape the damnation of hell? These statements of truth were spoken by him who was love. With Jesus as our perfect example, shouldn't we always embrace and react to people in the same way? Maybe I should say on this show, woe unto you modern day prophets and apostles, you blind icons, for you wave your hands at the elite within your social circle, but you turn your face from the poor and the outcast. Woe unto you brethren and sisterhood on high who dress in all glory for your own praise, but, not, but you will not praise Jesus as almighty God. Woe unto you deceivers, you hypocrites, your hearts of darkness with manicured hands, for you hide the truth of your hearts under a cloak of pretended Christianity. Should I say that? Amen. When Simon the sorcerer came to Peter in Acts 8 and wanted to buy the ability to give the Holy Spirit, Peter said, your money perish with you. I mean, take your money and go die. Sound Christ-like? Paul says in Ephesians 5.11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Paul describes sharing the gospel through much contention. That's the word he uses. That word contention, contention in the Greek is best understood as agony. And the best writers and scholars take that word contention, agony, and they say it's like the agony you would experience in an all-out wrestling match or an all-out athletic competition or war. In other words, sharing and teaching the truth is not always this calm, peaceful, sing-song, euphoric affair that can be made, it can be made more likened unto a battle or a war. It's uncomfortable, it's painful, it's exhausting, it's challenging, it's strenuously com uh, competitive until the end. And yet, in an effort to protect themselves and their people from ever being challenged, Mormonism has labeled contention as of the devil, which directly causes its followers to run at the first sign of a reasonable challenge or war. You've been contentious, they will cry, and they run away when you press them on any issue. They've been conditioned to do that. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. In Timothy, Titus, uh, in Titus, Paul exhorted that we should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. The word here, contend, is a Greek word. The Greek word, let's show that on the screen for a second. Now, look at that word. The word is epagonizomahi. Epagonizomahi. Excuse my pronunciation. I was always bad. All right. Do you look at that word? Do you see after the E-P, the A-G-O-N-I? That's the N-Z. That's agonize. That's where we get that. Paul says that we should earnestly agonize for the faith. 
It's not this peaceful experience that they try to make us, uh, the uh, Latter-day Saints try to get their believers in and feeling that this is the spirit. The Mormon, Mormon, how much agonizing has Mormonism embraced in their religion when it comes to their doctrine? In Happy Valley, in General Conference, it's been eliminated and replaced by a highly subjective and esoteric feeling they call the spirit, a burning in the bosom. There is no contention for the faith. They won't allow it. As soon as there's a slight bit of discomfort, they are taught to run, turn tail, and hide. Why? Because they don't want to face the facts. Have you sold your soul to the mindless notion that a person should never contend or agonize over their beliefs? That if something is uncomfortable, that if something uncomfortable is presented to you, it's noble to play monkey and don't hear and don't see and don't speak and just run. Have they taught you that? If you have, you have bought into a lie, which was formulated to keep you from the truth, which will in the end set you free. That is evil. The opposite word, it's kind of a game, but if you take evil and flip it around, it's live. The opposite of living is evil. The opposite of live, evil. And that is what they do to you when they try to protect you. We're going to go to a commercial break. We'll be back to finish up and open up the phone lines. See you in a second. Paul also said in Titus that we are to rebuke errant believers sharply so they will be sound in the faith. Sharing the truth is never wrong and at times it brings agony, pain, discomfort, uncertainty, sometimes possibly even doubt. As a means to further isolate its followers and supporters and keep them in darkness and deception, evil principalities have not only told its adherents to avoid contending for the faith at all costs, but they have redefined truth as a means to castigate, castigate and vilify all those people who seek to share it. They have done this by relabeling truth intolerance and hate. They even say that the truth is relative. I want to remind you that truth is never, ever relative. Truth with a capital T. Truth is truth and has always been truth. It's not relative to anyone or anything. Human facts, our sciences, our knowledge, our circumstances, our accomplishments, our choices, our histories, all those things may be relative. Our experiences may be relative, but truth is not relative. Because sharing truth is a form of love, truth cannot ever be thought of as intolerance. All those who seek to redefine try to make silence as the ultimate characteristic. Silence is just a, a wonderful thing, but that is not what the scriptures teach at all. Let's conclude and tune, turn to, quickly to the B side of our record. In our discussion of truth, I have from, for the most part been speaking to the LDS audience who frequently suggest to me that my speaking the truth is a form of hate speech and intolerance. Now my comments are more so directed to some of my Christian friends and brothers who seem to take love and redefine it. 
Love has been twisted and contorted in a million billion ways since the fall of man. Now, followers of Christ are usually quite adept at refusing to embrace the Hollywood definition of love, the if it feels good, it's okay version of love. Um, but they will often let the truths they possess almost wholly overshadow the imperative to love others. Here is where spiritual brutality raises its ugly head, its voice, sometimes even its fist. Truth overshadowing love manifests itself sometimes in preachers screaming from boxes, pointing meanly with a crooked finger down to hell. It's when groups who appear more sinful than others become the poster child, the whipping boy for all the evil things in the world. Somehow all the biblical supports for genuine Christian love like love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love, are forgotten in the trumped up and indignant fervor of being so darn right that they see everyone and everybody as wrong, wrong, wrong. For this reason, we here at Aletheia Ministries refuse to, to, refuse to limit the hand or work or mind of God in any way, shape, or form. We refuse to condemn anyone or any group of people or individuals to hell, leaving this final assessment to God and His omnipotence. And we refuse to take, we refuse to mistake or merge um, the sharing of Jesus Christ with others into sectarianism or denominationalism or legalism or assuming some stance with regard to politics, family values, or choices of a personal nature, like music and dress and artistic preferences. We share truth with the hope that all will speak, that all who we share it with will know that though we are sharing truth, we love them. With this approach, we believe this is what Christ would want. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We invite first-time callers and most particularly LDS people to call and share their views. We disinvite people who have called with us within the last six months and or people who do not have a good point or question to make. Turn your TV sets down, please, as we go to the phones. We're going to Janet in Salt Lake City, a first-time caller. Janet, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you tonight? Good, Janet. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I wanted to talk to you. I am a first-time caller, uh, and I wanted to talk to you about I am a convert to the church, uh-huh. uh, and uh, I've been contemplating for the last five years of getting out of it. Uh-huh. And uh, someone told me that I could get my name withdrawn from the records. Right. Or the register, because I thought I had be excommunicated. No. To get out of it. No. No, you can simply make the request uh, through the mail. Do you have the internet, Janet? Yes. Go to our website at bornagainmormon.com. And there's a whole uh, bunch of information that will tell you how to do it. Okay. Now, I did call the office building downtown uh -huh. and talked to a gentleman, and um, he told me that I had to, to do a letter in writing. Yeah. And then I would have a 30-day waiting period. And I asked him, I said, well, why do I have to wait for 30 years when I've been con contemplating for five years? on doing this. And he said, well, you might want to change your mind. And I said, well, 30 days is nothing compared to five years. Right. 
you know, and and I told him that I wanted everything removed, and he says, well, we can't remove your baptismal records, and we cannot remove your ordinance records. Yeah. Well, am I still going to be a member? No. Uh, but you, they still will keep track of your records and your name will still show up. You just won't be a member on their records. And so a lot of people think when they have their name removed, it removes them completely from the records of that organization. It's just not so. They'll never let you go. I'm still on their records. Oh, you're Probably kidding. a huge record. <laughs> oh. See, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's a crime. I really, you know. Yeah. They don't want to give you your freedom back. Never. Never. And I'm sorry about that, but Janet, let me ask you one question. What are you doing with your faith now that you're uh, uh, going to abandon ship? What, what do you do as far as your relationship to God? Uh, I like the non-denominational church. Awesome. Well, praise God for that. Go to our website and you should be able to get some more information on that. And you can say in your letter, hey, I waive my 30 days. Do it now. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank, thanks for calling. Thank you. And you have a good new year. Same to you. Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Tim in Boise, Idaho. Tim, a first-time caller. You're on the air. Yes. Oh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to, like, warn people. Um, I had a blessing done by the Mormon religion. Yeah. And um, they put some sort of, like, ointment stuff. Oil on I'm your head? Sure to... Yeah. They put, it on, they put it on the top of your head, and they brought me down to their, where their church is. And had me go in there, and I got really sick, real, real sick after I went in there. And um, later on, I was told that I was that I was going to die, and that um, even the strongest had submitted, have to submit to them to try to control. And but I never ever did submit to them. And I mean, I am fine today, thank goodness to God. But um, I just wanted people to be fair warned on that. That's one of their technique things that they're using okay. to try to get people. I mean, they pretty much tried to overrun the state over here. Yeah. Well, you're better now? In Idaho. Yes, I am. Thanks to God. Yes. That, That's who I have to be thankful. Amen, my brother. Thanks so much for your call. No problem. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Bud in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Bud, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hey, Sean. Hey, Bud. So... So I've been a he I've been a heathen my whole life, and I I was raised by atheists. You know, we never uh, celebrate Christ. Yeah. But I was sitting in my living room roasting a bowl, and I had a, a, an ethereal, or what you call other world, otherworldly moment. And Christ came to me and said, "I've come to watch you." Um, but I don't have a, a church per se, so I was wondering if you had any uh, advice for me. Where do you live? I live in Salt Lake. How close are you to uh, University of Utah? Pretty close, actually. I'm, I'm on 11th. Do you have access to the internet? Uh, yeah, I can get it. Well, go to calvarycampus.com, and uh, we meet for an hour every Sunday morning. You can start there, and if you decide that you want more, you want to have more people around and more programs and better things for other people, then there's plenty of churches. There's plenty of great pastors and in this state, and we can, uh, we'll point you in that direction. But oh, that's, that's really great. Why don't you come up and meet us? I, I, I have a question, though. Yeah. They say the Bible is the Word of God? As far as it's translated correctly. 
Well, I heard in many places it's translated that it endorses racism and, like, dilapidation towards women. Well, why don't you come and we'll, we'll talk about all those biblical issues. I, I don't think uh, uh, that's the uh, mindset of God, uh, but I think it can be perceived that way at times. Yeah, they have not talk like that. He's just a boy. Yeah. All right, well, I'll talk to you later. All right, God bless, Sean. Thanks, bud. Bye. We're going to Donald at American Fork, first-time caller. Thank you all for being first-time callers. Donald, you're on Heart of the Matter. How's it going, Sean? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. just wanted to call you and say uh, good job. About time you kind of got something like that out. Awesome. I just talked about it earlier. It's kind of hard to say that here in Utah. So. Where do you go to church? I haven't been for a while, actually. used to go to Calvary. Yeah, that's a good church. Uh, you know, out there in American Fork, uh, there's a uh, Joe McCormick's church. Mountain View is a good one. You ought to go check that out. I might. Where's that at, you know? I don't know the address, but you can get I'm sure if you type in Mountain View, Utah, you can get it. All right, cool. Well, thanks for that's watching. Awesome. That's all I want to tell you. I don't want to take up too much of your time, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you for calling. All right, have a good one. All right, see you later. Goodbye. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. We are going to Mark in Draper. Uh, Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Doing well, Mark. How are you? Good. I just wanted to read a scripture really quick, and then I just had a quick question. Okay. Um, in John chapter six, uh, 16, verse 13, it says, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, the Spirit of truth is, you know, the Holy Spirit, and he, he guides you into truth. And my question is this. Um, does the Mormon population believe that you, ha you must be born again and receive the spirit of truth? Because uh, I had heard one time that, that um, I thought that they believe they had the Holy Spirit from birth. So it, that's kind of my question. Is it's it a good one. Do they feel they have to receive, or, or do they feel like they have the truth when they're born into this world? It's a really good question. Uh, and there's a few answers, and let me try to summarize them. First and foremost, they believe that everybody born into this world is clean and that you are not a sinner. You, are, uh, you do not inherit a sinful nature. You become a sinner when you sin, and you sin when you become accountable to be able to sin. They do teach spiritual rebirth. They call it a mighty change. That's what the Book of Mormon calls it. But it's not something that they ever focus on or really emphasize. The reason being is because they believe that spiritual rebirth occurs when you're baptized and then you receive by the laying on of hands a gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost then has influences upon you and guides you so long as you're worthy. And so they, they, they kind of talk, they cover all angles in a kind of a vague way, but the, the strongest, most emphasized way is you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands by somebody in authority, and that is what you must stay worthy to have, or else he will flee from you, and then you are left to your own devices. I see. Now, one of the signs I feel that we have after we receive the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, is, is a love of the truth. Yeah. So that's why it kind of confuses me as to why, uh, if you were part of the Mormon population, why you wouldn't research history and really seek out the truth to find out, you know, what the truth really is. You know, that you know? is such a good point, Mark, because uh, I know from my own experience, 
when I came to know the Lord and he did give me new life, that's when I really started to seek out for truth and how that the truth meant so much to me. So what a great challenge for Latter-day Saints, that if you are truly born again, if you've had this mighty change, then, then seek for truth because it's, that's an evidence that you really have him within you. Sure. Excellent point. Sure. All right. Thank you, Sean. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. All right. Okay, we're going to Robert in American Fork, first-time caller. Robert, you're on Heart of the Matter. God bless you, brother. How you doing? God bless you, man. How you doing? All right, I just had a, a, a quick question. All right. The, your topic tonight was on uh, love and truth. Yeah. And uh, I know Mormons always are love, love, love. DMC 4218 says that thou shalt not murder, and any man who murders shall not have forgiveness in this world or the next to come. Yeah. So... If you're supposed to love and Christ was loved so much, how can we not trust him enough to forgive them for all sins, like he said out of his own mouth? Robert, what a, we're getting two great calls in a row. That is such a good point, because with the Latter-day Saints, some sins are not forgivable. Exactly. Yeah. And so all their pretense of, we just want to love, we just want to love, it's not a two-way street. You know, uh, they, they do not love, well, they, now we're going to get people who call and say, we do love the murderers. We just don't believe they're going to be able to go to the celestial kingdom, you know. But it's not only that. Uh, I know some people who have been in prison. Right. And you can't be rebaptized, if I understand this right, into the LDS church as a felon. Oh, wow, really? Or until something occurs with your record. In other words, you can't come to Jesus, have an experience, and be embraced by the body of Christ. You've got to go through a bunch of hoops because your crime was so heinous that the law judged you a felon. Therefore, you're not worthy of their baptism, which you need in order to get into the temple, which you need in order to go to the highest degree. So wait a minute. You mean to tell me that a man has the power to excommunicate somebody from God? Absolutely. So he, he's the... Uh Either the co-redeemer, he can uh, step in and say, no, you're not worthy. Absolutely. Wow. And then the, real quick, the second one was, they also say that God has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as a man. Yep. But I believe it was John 4, 4 that said God is spirit, and we worship him in spirit and truth. Yep. So if, if I can, I'm a, I'm a layman, I can look at this stuff myself and see that it says if, there's, if you find one one uh, wrong truth or one, one false doctrine, yeah. the whole thing is false. Yeah. Uh, so I believe these LDS scholars and presidents and Quorum of Twelve should be able to read this and, and free their people. Ro I, I would agree, Robert. But guess what the LDS say about that specific passage? In fact, Joseph Smith, that's one of the passages that caused him to say, that's not translated correctly. Oh, from the Egyptian uh, recipe? The no. book of Abraham? No, not from that. Just in his uh, spiritual discernment, he realized that God is a spirit, that that is just not correct, and therefore it's not translated. So if you were to bring the biblical conflict up with their doctrine, they would say that biblical uh, statement about God being a spirit is just not translated right. I see. Yeah. Well, well, I don't want to take too much of your time. God bless you. Uh, Thanks, Robert. You. Thanks for a great call. Okay, have a good one. Bye-bye. We are going to Denise and Harriman, first-time caller, and LDS. Denise, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Denise. Hi. You're on the air. Oh, I am. Okay, sorry. I didn't know that. Is this Sean? Yes, this is. Okay. I just wanted to say that I 
I do appreciate the things that you said about Jesus tonight. Good. Thank you. And um, it's interesting how you just have one view of the LDS people, just one blanket view. I have many views of them. Pardon? I have many views of them. Oh, you do, but I mean, like, it's like you have this blanketed view of everybody, that everybody feels and does things in the way that you think that they do. Yeah. Did Denise... But anyway, I do, I do, what you said about Christ tonight was right on, and then just one other thing is, um, you forgot about charity, because charity is the pure love of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and I agree, and that, that whole chapter, I would have read it, and I agree with that completely. Denise, I have to say this, though, going back to your uh, introductory comment. I, okay. I, I do not lump all members of the LDS Church into the same boat whatsoever. I believe it's quite possible, Denise, that you are a, a confirmed, saved Christian, and, and, and possibly not by the blood of Christ we're all equal, but possibly by the way you live, possibly even better than me if we're going to make a comparison. I don't lump all latter Because you're LDS, I don't point the finger of condemnation at you. My no, show. I, no, my, I understood that. I got that from what you were saying. I mean, yeah. when you were reading the scriptures and you were saying all the things that you said that Christ said and how he pointed out to Peter, um, Satan, get behind me, and some of the other things that you said, and you were pointing out how Jesus is as a person. Yeah. I was like totally with you on that. And I was in my heart feeling like, wow, I need to repent and I need to change and there's things that I need to do better. But when you say stuff like families cannot be together forever... It's a man-made well, doctrine, they can Denise. Be. I know they can be, and it's because of Christ and His love that they can be. Well, that you know, I understand what you're saying. It's a very emotional uh, response. You know they can be because Christ made it possible. But I could say I know that, that I'm going to be 4,000 feet tall because Christ made it possible and believe it. This is the, the family for, for everything. Jesus said we're not, there is no marriage in heaven. We're not married. We're not given in marriage. He the, said whatever is bound on earth can be bound in heaven. It has nothing to do with marriage because we have a contradictory statement of his. If you're going to say that, he says there's no marriage in heaven. So he was referring to something different when he talked about binding on earth and binding in heaven. You understand how that works? You've taken two things. You've been taught this, I know, so I'm not blaming you. And you've put them together and made them make sense. But they, you can't have two statements that contradict each other by the Lord. Okay, well, I, just, I don't feel like they contradict each other. And I just wanted to compliment you on bringing out Jesus and how he is. And I want other people to know that LDS people believe the same that you do about Christ and his love. <laughs> oh, we, Denise. That's not, we, that's not fair for you to kind of make those statements and then hang up. I, I'm not going to hang up. I'm just telling you. I'm just saying, like, okay, let me ask, show is based can on I ask you a couple questions? That Mormons aren't Christian. Did, but I'm telling you, I love what you said about him. Well, that's okay. And I believe in him that way, but I still, I go to the temple. I believe in the prophet. Okay, Denise. I believe in eternal marriage. Denise. I believe I, in all those things. I know you believe in all those things. Let me ask you just a couple questions. Okay? Okay. Because uh -huh. you, you made a statement, Denise. You said, I want everyone to know that we believe in the same Jesus in the same way as you do. Let me ask you this, Denise. Is what Jesus did on the cross sufficient for you when you die just what he did that you believe in that when you die you will go and live with the father when i die i will be resurrected 
He gave me that gift. Okay, I'm not asking about resurrection. I'm asking if when you die, if your faith in Jesus and what he did for you, is that enough for you to live with the Father? With the Heavenly Father? Yeah. Or with Jesus? Heavenly Father. They're, they're two different people. You know that, right? Yeah. I mean, the caller that called just previous said that okay. there's not a physical body and that there's not spirit, but there's three. I, okay, there's, I, I understand. There's Heavenly Father, Jesus John Christ, O'Fallon and the Holy Spirit. For him. Denise, I understand. I understand your belief in the in the ontology of if God. Ta- well, if you're talking about the Father as a Jesus, the Father. No, I'm, I'm talking about what, Father God. Cross, yes, I will be able to see Jesus, the Father. No, I'm talking about Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, when you die, will faith in Jesus alone bring you to His side? Okay, I don't exactly understand what you believe as the Godhead. Uh, it does, I'm just asking you and your LDS beliefs. Will faith in Jesus alone have you live eternally with God the Father? If I wasn't a member, I would have the opportunity to, but because I'm a member of the church, I do have to do certain things to be able to live with the Father again. Okay. But if I wasn't, okay. I was somebody on the street and didn't know the truth. Yeah then I would have the opportunity to live with my father again. And what you mean by that, just for our audience and our, and our uh, YouTube people to understand, what you mean by that is that I w- if I wasn't a member and I died, then I would have the opportunity to embrace all the things you believe as a member because that's the only way I would be able to live with the father again. Yes. Yes. Okay, now... Denise, when you said, I want everyone to know that we believe in the same Jesus and the same type of Christianity, I want you to know that you just, what you just said here is making every single Christian viewer just throw their chips down and say, I can't believe this, because we are not talking about the same Jesus, my friend. Yeah, we are, because we are, because everyone will have the opportunity. Uh, opportunity say, to do what, Denise? I didn't say that Denise? you wouldn't have it. Denise? Can I, let me just say this. When Jesus comes again, you will meet him the same as I will meet him. And we can this touch is all, him and greet him the same way. Uh, this is all side issue. That's called a red herring when you're having a discussion. The no, object, it's not. It's the truth. Okay, that might be a truth. Okay, but what we're talking about here is you just said, because you're a member, you need to do other things in order to live with the Father after this life. And Denise... Okay, well, you were talking about love and truth, right? When you know more, you have to do better. Okay, listen, you don't have to do anything, Denise. The work was done on the cross. And here is where we differ, my sister. You keep saying... I know you're, you're really trying to make this work. But I want you to know, it's not working in anybody who knows the Lord. It's just not because... Well, I'm just telling you that I know him the same way everybody has their own feeling. Like, he's a personal person to people, depending on how much you read about him. So it's relative. You know about the Savior. It's all relative. It's not relative. Well, you're just saying you have your feelings and you're not... He's the same person to everybody, but... When you pray, you have different things that you pray about. I don't pray about the same things that you pray about. You have different concerns, so you have a different relationship with them than I do. Just like my husband has a different relationship with his brothers and sisters than I have a relationship with him. You're riding this horse all over the field. Let's just stay on this one little trail. You believe that you have to attend your meetings, pay tithing, 
obey the prophet, go to the temple, do new and everlasting covenants, go through the veil, be sealed for time and all eternity, all those things to live with the Father. I believe that I say, Jesus, I believe you died for me, and I'm going right there. There is a huge difference, Denise. A no, huge difference. I can say that same thing and go right to Jesus, but there's a difference between... No, you said go back to Jesus. Jesus to Let's keep father. it on the same trail. We've got to keep the horse on the same trail. You just slipped in something there. You said, I said that we could do that and go back to Jesus. I'm not talking about going back to Jesus here. Denise, I'm talking about going to be, to live with the Father. I know. Anyway, I don't want to argue with you. Of course not. Because I know that we love and we worship the same I know. Christ. No, you don't, Denise. He's probably laughing at us, thinking you guys are just crazy. Jesus is there. not laughing. He's not what? laughing at all. In fact, the, the doctrines, I'm not saying your personal beliefs, my friend, but the doctrines have entrapped people that he died to liberate. He's not laughing. It's not a funny thing. It's very serious because it puts people under a yoke of bondage and burden that he died. Well, I don't feel like I'm under a yoke of bondage. I feel like because I know you haven't who been he free is yet. and I'm looking forward to seeing him again, just as you are. I, I, I know that. About you, I trust what you're saying. I'm not discounting your, your testimony and faith in him. But doctrinally, Denise, right. doctrinally. I understand what you're saying, too. You... People want to be able to just accept Jesus and love Him, and then they'll see Him again, and that's what will happen to a lot of lots of people that believe and accept Him. Jesus, the Father, all of it, Denise, by loving Him and accepting Him by faith. Amen. Hey, thank you for the call. Okay, thanks. All right, bye. bye. Got to pray for Denise, man. She might be on the road. We're going to Ryan and Sandy. Ryan, I'm sorry, really quick. You're on the air. Ryan? Uh, I'm, I'm joking, Sean. I, uh, <clears throat> let's see here. First of all, you look really slick tonight on the air. Ooh, uh, Gordon Gecko look. I'm, I'm no, yeah. <laughs> Greed is good. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm not uh, a Mormon anymore, and I'm not a Christian anymore, but if I was, you would be my pastor. Oh. Hey, uh, you, about a month ago, you said uh, something that I thought was very interesting. You said something about Mormons put God in their debt. Yeah. rather than being in God's debt with regards to grace and works. Could you re-explain that to me? Well, Doctor and Covenants uh, 4210 or 8210 says, uh, uh, one, I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, but when you do not what I say, you have no promise. And another one says there's a law irrevocably decreed upon the, uh, there's a law irrevocably decreed when you're obedient, you get a blessing. If you're not, you don't. And they actually have books that teach that you can bind God and he has to bless you because you've done certain things. And that, that is so contrary to the Christian idea that God is in charge beginning and end of every single thing. And there's no binding him. He does his will. So I think that's what I was probably referring to. But listen, I want you to come to our, uh, our Bible study. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, my friend. Hey, you know, I need to take you to lunch. Hey, I love you. Let's and, do it. Uh, you're amazing. We'll do it. Thanks, man. Talk to you. God bless you. Bye-bye. I'm sorry, Kyle in Brigham City, first-time caller. I'm sorry, Rick. I'm sorry, those of you who are on the lines. We are out of time. Please join us next week here at Heart of the Matter as we begin the new year and we start to pick up LDS history again will include doctrinal discussions. We're going to hit the whole gamut. The stuff is endless. So we appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your kind attitudes. If you're LDS, please know that we do love you, that we, uh, we want to, because we love you, we share the truth. 
unequivocally. We're not gonna back off. We're gonna share it. I'm gonna try to have more smiles on my faces. Now try to keep calm, but it's out of love for you. And uh, we hope you understand that. So until we see you again next week, uh, be safe, have a great new year. Bye-bye. my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run